You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Well, good morning, Creekside. Good to see all of you. It is brisk. It feels like fall. It's good. Niners are doing better. It's a good time of year. I'm happy. It's Thanksgiving week. Lots to be grateful for. Good to see you. If this is your first time with us, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for joining us for worship today. Good to see you. Today we wrap up our series on Deuteronomy. So uh, grateful for the gift of this book. Let's pray and let's ask God to teach us from his word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Jesus, we have so much to thank you for today. Um, First, for the the gift of new life in you. Thank you, Jesus, um, for showering us with your grace. Father, we are grateful every good and perfect gift comes from you. And uh, Lord, as we conclude this study, I pray you would help us to grow in the grace of gratitude. Lord, for that's just living in reality. And uh, would your grace make us gracious people? And I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So a little reading comprehension exercise for you as we begin today. Uh, There is a certain attitude, a certain approach to life that time and again the Bible commends. Uh, I'm just going to take a sampling of what Paul says here. Let's see if you can detect the attitude Paul commends here, okay? Ephesians 5.4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So did you catch the theme? Thankfulness. What is the operating system of the Christian life? What does the whole thing run on? I think you could make a case that the whole thing runs on gratitude, on thankfulness. And so today, I want to ask why. Why is that the case? Why is being grateful so important? There are obvious reasons, right? Uh, It's important to be thankful because we don't want to be unthankful. Because unthankful people are almost unbearable to be around, aren't they? That's why almost as soon as your kid can talk, what do you teach them to say? Please and thank you. Why do you do that? Because, why, why do you do that? No one enjoys rude kids. No one. Not even their parents. And rude kids often grow up to be rude adults. And we really don't like rude adults, do we? People who are entitled and complain incessantly. They are some of the most unpleasant creatures on the face of the earth. And that's why some of you are stressed out this week, because it's Thanksgiving. (laughs) And you have to be around certain people who are ungrateful. Gratitude is key to getting along with other people, but it's also key to our own health and well-being. 
Think of the last time that you experienced profound gratitude when you received a blessing that you did not expect or anticipate. You know, I'm willing to bet, even if you can't remember what happened, I bet you can remember the way you felt. Because gratitude is one of the most powerful emotional states. It's, it's almost a feeling inside your chest. It, you just open and soften to the world, and you have this sense of wonder. That's really good for you. You don't have to be a Christian to, to realize that that's really good for you. Grateful people make more friends, they get more career opportunities, they experience less envy and regret, they have increased happiness, reduced depression, greater sensitivity and empathy, they sleep better, they recover from trauma more quickly. One leading researcher calls gratitude the forgotten factor in happiness research. So even an evolutionary psychologist can look at gratitude and go, yeah, be more grateful. That's really good. Makes you more tolerable to other people, benefits you. Here's the question for today. As believers, why are we grateful? Because there's a much deeper reason. And what I want to show you today is that it is actually impossible to live the Christian life apart from gratitude. It's the operating system. The whole thing runs on this. And if you don't have this, the thing doesn't work. Here's why. God calls us to obedience, to a life of submission to him, and you will never obey God unless you trust God. You have to trust God to obey him, but you will not trust God until you are grateful for him, until you appreciate him for who he is. And so, obedience runs on faith, but in many ways, faith runs on gratitude, and genuine faith is grateful faith. And today, because it's Thanksgiving week, and because this all tied together Deuteronomy too, I thought, hey, let's talk about gratitude. So that's what we're doing, because Deuteronomy has much to say about this subject. So we're wrapping up Deuteronomy today. This is our last series, sermon in this series. Next week, we're going to do a short Christmas series on the book of Psalms. And it's short, not covering all 150 psalms, just four of them. And we're looking specifically at the messianic psalms, four psalms that speak of the coming Messiah. We're calling it Songs of the Coming King, and so we're going to look at what the, the songs of the Old Testament teach us about Jesus and who he is as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. But today is Deuteronomy. Here's what we've seen in Deuteronomy. It is Moses' last sermon before he dies. God raises up Moses to deliver Egypt from slavery. He leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness and 40 years in the wilderness. And we see an entire generation of Israelites disqualify themselves from entering the promised land because they refuse to trust God and they disobey him. And so Moses leads God's people in laps around the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation dies. And now finally, after this 40-year route around the wilderness, they come to the plains of Moab. They're on the brink of the Jordan River. They're looking into the land of Canaan, this land of promise they're about to enter. And now the children of the wilderness generation stand ready to inherit the land. Moses doesn't get to go in. He's going to die. And this is Moses' last chance to tell the people of Israel what they need to know. So he preaches this 32-chapter sermon called Deuteronomy. 
And, and the, the heartbeat of this sermon is stay faithful. Stay faithful to God. Don't make the mistake we did that your parents did of distrusting God, of disobeying Him. Keep the covenant. Stay faithful. Why? Because God has been faithful to you. And that's we see the key of Deuteronomy. It's remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering who He is. Remembering what He has done. Calling to mind these things. That's what tethers us to Him. That's the big point of Deuteronomy. And we need those reminders all the time. Here's why. Because Paul Tripp says, all of us are gospel amnesiacs. Gospel amnesiacs. We have a tendency to wake up every day and forget who God is. To forget what God has done for us in Christ. To forget who we are in Him. And then we don't know how to live. Because we forget who we are in Jesus. And so we need these reminders. So we've been looking at all of these different reminders and how they um, push us to obey, prompt us to obey. And, and today we're going to look at gratitude. What do you need to remember to be a grateful person? Deuteronomy 26 is a great place to start. Uh, in Deuteronomy 26, Moses is wrapping up his teaching on the law, wrapping up everything he said, and he gives a few more instructions on how to celebrate festivals. And as we'll see, the heart of this passage is gratitude, and it really ties together a whole bunch of things in Deuteronomy. So, Gratitude. What does Moses say? First, I want to talk about the origin of gratitude, which is declaring what God has already done. You got to see God's grace in your story and declare it if you want to become a grateful person. Then we're going to talk about the overflow of gratitude. What does it naturally lead to? Well, the experience of grace will naturally produce in you a display of grace. The more you appreciate God's grace, the more gracious you are going to become to people around you. That's what fuels our good works. That's what fuels mercy. That's what fuels justice. And finally, the practice of gratitude leads to an orientation of gratitude. If you become a grateful person, you're going to be a person who is depending on God's grace for the future. And so I hope you can see why this is the operating system from this passage. And then we're going to talk about some ways to grow in gratitude. So let's look at the origin first. What causes gratitude to arise in us? How do you actually become a grateful person? Well, gratitude is a response to what? A gift. You have to understand the gift you've been given. And until you see your story and your life as a gift from God, you will not be a grateful person. And that's why Moses took pains to ensure that when Israel gave offerings and sacrifices to God, they understood the why. Why would you serve God? Why would you trust Him? Why would you be grateful? Because the land you are standing on, Israel, it's all a gift and it's all grace. Look at how Moses helps the Israelites remember this. He says this, "'When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance,' And have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who was in the office at that time and say to him, I declare today the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. 
Now, let's not get too caught up in the details of this ceremony for, this, for the moment. This is a ceremony, first fruit ceremony. This is something that God was going to establish when Israel got into the land. Israel had a variety of festivals they celebrated. Here is a celebration of first fruits. Uh, this took place at the Feast of First Fruits. We looked at that back in Deuteronomy 16. And this was a harvest celebration. Right at the beginning of harvest, when those first little buds were popping up, Israel would take the first of their harvest, they would give it back to God in worship. Now, why do they do that? Well, first is an act of faith. You give the first of the harvest, trusting that God's going to bring the rest because it's not there yet. But it's also an expression of thankfulness. And here's what I want you to see. It's thankfulness because the land that they're harvesting, who gave it to them? God. Did you catch that repetition? The land the Lord God is giving you. The Lord God is giving you. The Lord God is giving you. Six times in the passage, giving you. He's giving it to you. He's giving it to you. Why would the Israelites need to be reminded of that? Because the land they are giving back to God, it's all grace. It's not that they conquered the land or earned the land or won the land. They got the land and it was pure grace. And that's the Israelite story. It's a completely improbable story of grace. And that's why when the Israelites make this offering, they don't just make the offering of land. They recite the way they got to the land in the first place. Listen to this. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Now, it's striking. Every Israelite has to recite the story. This family story. What point is Moses trying to drill into their heads here? He's saying, don't forget what God brought you out of. Don't forget where you've been. The key contrast in the story is between land... That's where they end up, and the homelessness where they started. Did you catch that? How does the story start? A wandering Aramean was my father. That's Jacob. Jacob, the, the father of Israel, he spends his life on the run. He's just running from trouble to trouble, right? He's always getting in trouble. It has no home of his own. He's called an Aramean just because he spent so much time in Padam Aram. But, but he's a wanderer. And as he gets to the end of his life, he's ailing, he's feeble, and it looks like his family is on the brink of extinction. There's famine in the land of Canaan, and his own family is a mess. So what does he have to do? They have to flee down to Egypt, right? And God delivers this family improbably, but, but then they're still not in a land, are they? In fact, they're stuck in Egypt, and then they get stuck in Egypt for 400 years, and things just seem to go from bad to worse, and now this nation is really on the brink of extinction. 
And yet God continues to multiply them and bless them. And finally, after 400 years of crying out, God intervenes and brings Israel out and, and leads them through the wilderness. And it looked like, the, the wild, like that Israel was going to die in the wilderness. And then God brought them out of that too. And now finally, hundreds and hundreds of years later, think about you if you're an Israelite standing there offering this. <laughs> the produce of that land, what does that land represent? That's God making good on a promise hundreds of years before where you had every reason to believe in the story that it wasn't going to work out, that God wasn't going to get you through it. And guess what? You're here. The, the land is in your hands. That must have been like a dream to Jacob when, when God said, I'm going to give you the land. And now it's reality, right? And that should lead to praise. That's why verse 11 says, now as you're doing this, what do you do? Rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and your house. Can you believe it? You made it. This is insane. And Moses says, tell that story again and again and again so you know that God will make good on his promises. That you know God will be gracious to you. Here's why. When you're in the middle of the story, it's hard to believe it, isn't it? When you can't see it, it's hard to believe it. Think about Jacob in, in Genesis 48 when he goes to Egypt. Even though God has done so many gracious things for Jacob, when he talks to Pharaoh, he says, my days have been few. My life has been bitter, right? It's like, Jacob, like God has delivered you out of, you know, but why? Because he's in the middle of the story. He can't see it, Right? Famine, he has to flee his land, and, and he thinks that, that potentially, you know, two of his sons are gone at that point. Joseph and Benjamin, he doesn't, he, he doesn't see how the story is going to end, and yet fast forward Genesis 50, what does Joseph say? Well, you, you guys meant all this for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. Do you see how God tied all the loose ends together? You don't see it in the middle of the story. Think about um, Israel. When God delivers, I mean, he delivered them out of slavery. He did what they asked him to do. And then they're in the wilderness and they go, I know what this is. God's going to kill us. That's why he brought us out. That's why he did the miracles. He's given us this lousy food, manna, and, you know, the leeks in Egypt. Oh, right? Oh, we just want the leeks. I just can't believe they Apparently they really missed the leeks. I mean, slavery was bad, but at least there were leeks, Right? It's better than this manna. And they complain and they distrust God. Why? Because they can't see what God's doing. And yet Moses in Deuteronomy can look back on the wilderness period and say, this was a time when God was caring for you. You didn't starve. Your shoes didn't wear out. Your clothing didn't wear out. God preserved you through that. It's really hard to see in the middle of the story. And so how do you get through the story? You have to declare what God has already done. You have to recount what God has already brought you through so you don't lose hope in the middle. That's the discipline that, that we have to go through is seeing God in what has happened to us and what he has brought us through and his graciousness is that in that and recount it. Here's the problem with a secular approach to gratitude, the way our culture approaches gratitude, is we say it's really important to practice gratitude and to just be thankful for what happens to you. But you can't be thankful to things. Gratitude is relational. And this is the problem with the way people talk about gratitude in our culture. Let me give you a dumb example, but I think it's a good one, okay? So when I was in preschool, 
my kids learned this little song. And we're supposed to, you know, it was all about where we get food and how dirt makes food. And the song, like, you know, dirt made my lunch. Dirt made my lunch. And then it said, thank you, dirt. Thanks a bunch. Right? And it goes on and on. And I didn't like that song. I'll be honest. I didn't like that song. You know why? Because I kept thinking, dirt did not make my lunch. I made my lunch. And yes, the nutrients within dirt were necessary to create the food that I'm eating. But you know what? Dirt didn't do that. The farmer made my lunch. So maybe I should thank the farmer. You know what? I already did. I paid him money for his food. So no thank you, dirt. I don't thank the dirt, right? I don't thank the hammer as I'm hitting a nail. Thank you, hammer, for being a great hammer. You don't thank things like that. You don't thank the universe for what happened. That's just stuff happening. And when good stuff happens, you just go, Phew, right? <laughs> Dodged a bullet. And that's the problem with a secular frame for gratitude. Even gratitude researchers say that gratitude is a positive emotional response that we perceive on giving or receiving a benefit from someone. Gratitude presumes a gift and a gift presumes a giver. And so you can't just be thankful to the universe or to nature for what happens. That's not gratitude. You have to see with the eyes of faith that there is a good God, the God revealed in the Bible, who is providentially working in your story. So things that happen to you don't just happen to you. God is working something in it. And the discipline we have to develop is to look back and ask God to give us the eyes of faith to see what he was doing. And as Paul says, it's Thanksgiving in all circumstances. In all. So, yes, thank you for the blessings. And yes, thank you that in the hardships you had a redemptive purpose. How do you do that? How do you grow in declaring God's goodness and showing gratitude? I'm not going to tell you yet, okay? Got to wait. Got to keep you interested till the end, right? So, I'm going to tell you. But, but here's the first step. Gratitude arises from a gift, you have to see the gifts God has given you. That is where gratitude comes from. And here's the thing. If you taste and see that the Lord is good in that way toward you, how do I know I'm really grateful? How do I know I have gratitude in my heart? You will inevitably display it. If you see your life as a gift that you didn't earn or deserve, you will become a gracious person. You will. That will become the operating system of your life. That's how you know it's happening. Looking for the Israelites. I love this command. You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you to you and your house. And who do you celebrate with? The Levite and the sojourner. Here's what Moses is saying. It's not enough to just rejoice in all the blessings. There are people you should include in your blessings as you are doing this. You should rejoice with the Levite and the sojourner. Now, why would God say to include those particular people? Do you know what the Levite and the sojourner had in common? What they didn't have. Do you know what they did not have? Land. Land. The Levites, ministers in God's house, they didn't have an inheritance in the land. God was their inheritance. So they relied on the generosity of others to serve in the temple. 
The sojourners, it's in the name. They're wanderers. They are not in their land. They are foreigners. They don't have land. And so what God is saying is this. When you experience the blessing of land, here's what you'll remember. You know in your history what it was like to not have land. You know what it was like to be a wanderer. You know what it was like to depend on me for your inheritance, even though you didn't have it. So do you know who that should draw you to? The people who have your story. The people who have that story of, oh, they know what it's like to not have land. I know what it's like to be in that situation. And and do you see this connection? Experiencing grace, experiencing this unexpected, undeserved gift makes you what? Gracious. God has done this for me. He has been so merciful to me. And the natural overflow of that is grace and mercy to those who need it. The sojourner and the Levite, they depended on the generosity of the Israelites for their existence. God God says, you'll think about those people if you think about your own story. And it's interesting, right after this, in verses 12 through 15, Moses describes another tithe, another offering that the Israelites were to give. And it's the third year tithe. I confused these two tithes last week, but there's a reason I confused them because they're mixed together and it's sort of confusing. But, but the point is this. The third year tithe was a tithe that went to the needy in the land, the orphan, the, the widow, the sojourner, the poor. Now, why would Moses reference that tithe right after this to solidify this connection? That as we experience God's grace and mercy and remember it, then we give to others out of what? Grace and mercy. Does that make sense? So the only way to have a heart that really loves vulnerable people, that loves needy people, is to remember how vulnerable and needy you were and how gracious God has been. And then your love to others is what? The overflow of your own life. The overflow of your own joy. That's a better motivation for loving people, isn't it? That's a better motivation because that motivation is endless. That motivation is not just, oh, I need to care about this stuff as the Bible says I need to care about it. All right. Gonna do good, okay. Even though these people I'm doing good for, they don't deserve it at all. They are ungrateful, stubborn, undeserving people, and yet I am giving them grace and doing good for them. Who would do that, right? You're not fist clenching. You're not just trying to just eke out some more goodness. No, the natural expression of joy is an overflow. You celebrate your joy with other people and you give. That's actually the kind of joy people are looking for. People take drugs to experience that kind of joy. I'm serious. I was listening to a guy getting interviewed. He was talking about doing drugs. And he's like, I was so happy on my high that I had to call people and just start telling them I loved them and I cared about them. And he said, it was like I had so much joy in me that I couldn't contain it. It's like I couldn't experience all the joy unless I shared it with other people. I was just so grateful. And I wanted to tell him, like, you don't have to do ecstasy to experience that. You don't. we, We want that. We long for that. Why? Because God has wired that into us. That if we receive his joy and his goodness, it'll make us joyful people. And as we realize that God gave us a life we don't deserve and all these good things we don't deserve, the overflow and natural expression of that is loving and serving other people. 
and it actually completes our joy. Have you ever noticed that? How when you experience joy, you can't fully experience it until you complete it with someone else. That's why people go to football games, right? They want to celebrate with other people. It's way more fun than just sitting in your, you know, man cave or your she shed or whatever, you know, just watching it on your own. That's why you do it. It, it's why people post things on social media that they enjoy. It's like, I need this to be shared, right? The praise completes the joy. That's the point. So, so gratitude, it, it begins when we remember what God has done. It expresses itself in mercy toward others because God has been so good to us. It completes our own joy. And finally, if we practice gratitude, it develops an orientation in us, and it's this. We look back on what God has done, and we see our need for God. You know what that primes us for? Depending on God in the future. This is why faith and gratitude are so closely linked together, because gratitude says, man, this was a gift, and I need God's gifts to keep going. At the end of this third-year tithe, Verse 15, here's the prayer Moses tells the Israelites to pray. After giving this tithe, the Israelites pray this, God, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. I like what Christopher Wright says about this. The thrust of this verse is not... We have obeyed, so you must bless us. We did our part, now God, you do your part. No, it's, it's this. God, you blessed us already. You blessed us by giving us the land. And now, in response, we trust you, we obey you. And so, God, in the future, would you graciously continue to bless us as you blessed us in the past? See, see, Thanking God for what he has done primes us to recognize our need for God in the future. Does that make sense? There, there's a way of understanding gratitude that, that we really, that, that's really dangerous, actually, okay? And John Piper called it the debtor's ethic. This is not how gratitude works, okay? You know what the debtor's ethic is? Someone does something really nice for you, so you have to do something really nice for them to pay them back. Right? Like, oh man, this person's been so nice to me, I gotta do something to them. If we approach God that way with gratitude, it'll destroy us. Here's why. Guess who you can't pay back? God. In fact, the attempt to pay God back is kind of insulting. Um, think about it this way. Let's say, just this is hypothetical, but let's say I, you drive home today and I'm there waiting for you and I have a new car for you. Okay, don't get excited, it's hypothetical, all right? I'm not, I'm not Oprah, you're not all getting a car. It's just, let's say I got a car. It's, it's exactly what you wanted, it's brand new, 2023. Um, it's just beautiful. And, and you go, oh, Jeff, I am so grateful. I can't, I did not expect this. I, I'm amazed. I, oh, I gotta do something. Thank you so much. You go, wait, hold on. I need to do something to say thank you. And you run inside. And you're like, here. And you find a gift card that's buried in your drawer. And you say, here is a $50 gift card to Golden Corral. <laughs> what am I going to say? I keep your gift card. 
There's not a golden corral within miles of me, and I don't even like golden corral. Like, it would be insulting for you to try to pay me back. You can't pay me back. I didn't give it to you so you'd pay me back. I just want you to enjoy the gift. I just want you to appreciate the gift. Hopefully you appreciate me and our relationship. When God blesses his people, he's not saying, and now you really owe me. Oh, we're, we're constantly indebted to God. What God is asking for is our faith. He's asking for us to trust him and to realize that any future blessing is going to be grace. Even God's response to our obedience is grace because it's so far out of proportion to what we deserve. It's not like God is obligated to us in that way. He is gracious. And so here's how gratitude fuels faith. We look at past grace. We see our need for God, and it helps us to envision future grace. It means, okay, God showed up for me here and here and here, which means the next time I take a step of obedience, I can anticipate what? Who's going to show up? God, with the mercy, the wisdom, the strength, the perseverance, the comfort, everything I need, that's my future now. That's what I'm anticipating. Do you see the connection? You're not paying God back. You're learning to trust God more. That's why the refrain in the Old Testament, kind of the, the amazing grace of the Old Testament, is give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Give thanks for what happened. His mercy endures forever. We can anticipate it coming as we walk closely with him. You see the connection there? That changes our orientation. And so if you are struggling today with taking a step of faith and obedience here the only way to take this step is to look where? To look back. That's the only thing that's going to get you to keep walking forward. So, what have we said? Gratitude originates from declaring God's past grace. It will inevitably display itself in acts of graciousness toward other people. And finally, it forms in us an orientation to look to God for grace because we know we need him. Okay? So, how do you grow in gratitude? Uh, six things really quick, then we're done. Uh, if the Psalms teach us anything, here's point one. When you express thankfulness to God, do it out loud. Say it. Declare it. Speak it. I try to annoy my kids with this, right? Parking spot opens up. Thank you, Jesus. That was Jesus. He gave me that spot, right? That sounds stupid. Why? I want to build in them a sense that God gives us good things all the time. We just have to look for them. And the way you do that is by taking note. Take note. Next thing I would encourage you to do is chronicle God's goodness to you in your life. Write it down. You see this throughout the Old Testament. It's not enough just to say thank you. They say we need to do something to remember what God did. What do they do? They set up stones of remembrance. God showed up here. Don't move this. Our people need to remember this. God showed up here. Stones of remembrance. Write it down. This is one reason I journal and I thank God for what he has done. And also when I journal, I will write down answered prayers. You know why? Because God answers way more of your prayers than you realize. You just forget that he answered them. And when things are really hard in my life, I can look back and go, oh, God did that. God did that. God did that. And I can't tell you how many of my prayer journals are like, 
It's the Psalms, right? Oh God, this is impossible. I'll never get out of this, right? And then two weeks later, I'm like, thanks God, life's great right now, right? It's like, that happens so often where you feel like you're in an impossible situation and then you see what God did. Write it down because it'll give you perspective. It's something you can go back to when times are hard and say, wait, God did that, God did that, God did that. I'm just in the middle of it. I just can't see it right now, right? Here's a, here's a challenging one, a convicting one. Uh, just monitor how much you complain and criticize. You ever notice that the gravitational pull in conversations is toward criticism and complaining? It's like gravity. It just works that way. Like, you know what's fun? Complaining about things, right? Just enjoyable. We can all find things to complain about because every silver lining has a cloud, right? I can see the rainbow. Yeah, but it's raining. I'm wet, right? You can, you can always find things to complain about. It is the easiest thing in the world, and it's kind of fun, because there's this self-justifying, I see the world right thing in it to just complain and criticize. And it's soul-killing to do that because it's the opposite of gratitude. It's the opposite. So uh, my mentor, he gave us a really annoying assignment when we were in college and it was convicting and helpful. He said, he said, wear a rubber band for a day on your wrist and every time you complain, you have to go, I had a sore wrist by the end of that day. But, but ask yourself, how many times in conversation is your go-to, your comfort zone, just criticism or complaint as the place you go? Um, here's a, third, a fourth one. Use rest time to enjoy life, not to evaluate it. Here's what I mean. God commands us to rest. Do you know what you should do when you rest? Actually enjoy things God has given you. Like just go out and be in nature and enjoy it because it's a gift. Take a nap because God wants you to rest. Don't spend every waking moment of your life evaluating how to make things better. You know why? Because you'll never appreciate life. There's plenty of time for evaluation. But like there's nothing worse than being at a nice restaurant and being the guy who's like, yeah, the service was a little slow, right? And it was a little undercooked. And it's like, you're at this amazing restaurant. Just enjoy it for what it is. You kill experiences by evaluating them. You realize that? You have to just enjoy them at some point. I remember Cashel and I were talking to a, a, a coach last summer. We were, I'm, I'm going on sabbatical, right? Like, what a gift, right? I get to go on sabbatical and just rest, and we're going to Hawaii. We're going to Hawaii, and we're talking about how do we make the most out of the trip? How do we get the most out of this? And our coach is like, would you stop trying to optimize this? Like, you'll be in Hawaii, and he said, here's the rule. You can't evaluate anything when you're on the trip. Nothing. You can't say, well, how was it? All you can do is say, wasn't that great? You can only point out, wasn't that great? When you rest, that's what you should do. Just enjoy things because that will drive you back to who? The giver. And man, I think it's really insulting to God to live a life where you never actually enjoy the gifts he's given you and are constantly evaluating things. So, so make the most of your rest time. Here's a way to do that. Uh, don't be on technology. Because you know what this is? It's a criticism complaint monster. That's what this thing is. No, no one goes and starts scrolling through their feed and goes, man, I'm a more grateful person now. Gosh, thank you, Lord, for the gift. No, because this thing is designed to show you the five worst things that happen in the world today all the time. Okay? And that's going to frame the narrative of your life. You can use tech. This should not be your ever-present help in time of need, okay? 
Like you have to have times you go like, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to stop caring about everything wrong in the world for a second. Seriously. You know why? Because God cares. So there's times you don't have to care. You actually have to stop, enjoy God, enjoy creation, and just unplug from that and enjoy the blessings God wants to give you so that you can go back and recharge and get re-engaged in the problems of the world. Believe me, they'll be there. Don't worry. There'll be plenty to work on. But you have to take time to, to, to detach. Here's the, the, the six I would say. Try to make a practice in your life of blessing others in ways they do not expect. Try to be proactive in blessing others and not just reactive. You, you know why? Because this actually fuels kind of this gratitude cycle. Because you know what's really fun is when you experience a blessing and then you bless other people in a way they didn't expect. Do you know who you're most like in that moment? Jesus. Like the good things God does for us. He's not like, oh man, I got myself into this covenant. No, I just got to keep doing good. No, like he is overflowing generosity. That's God's nature. And he delights to bless because he's a blessed blessing God. That's who he is. And we're most like God when we just bless people in ways they don't anticipate. Like God blessed us in ways we could have never anticipated. So like one of the things Kishel and I really enjoy doing is giving people money. I'm not Oprah. I can't give you all money, okay? But like giving certain people we know money when they don't expect it. When we know they have a need and they know they have a need, but we just say we're going to meet the need. Like that is fun. It actually is more blessed to give than to receive in that way. Because you know what? You're just participating in God's own life and what God is like, and that's going to bring you joy. That's part of the blessedness of being God. Ultimately, the way you become grateful is, is this. Look, uh, your life might be terrible right now. Uh, you know what's not terrible right now? Your new life in Christ. Amen. This is the heart of gratitude, is, is realizing that, um, you know, God gave me his very best in Jesus Jesus gave me his life. I have a life in him that death cannot touch. And so as bad as things are now, this is the worst it'll ever get in relation to eternity. And God has an eternity to show me the glory of who he is. And like I try to say whenever I'm in a hard time, like two trillion years of blessedness from now, how will I view this sliver? in the light of everything coming for me. That, that's the ultimate cause of gratitude, is to realize that God didn't have to create you, but he did. God didn't have to save you, but he did. God didn't have to bless you by bringing you in to the loving life of the Trinity, but he did because he's just that kind of God. And so it's a story that is almost too good to believe, except it is true. And it's a story that keeps on getting better. And if you can live with that perspective, you can be grateful even when life is really hard. All right, let's pray. So we thank you, God, because every good and perfect gift is from you. Uh, Jesus, I'm just convicted because your word says in Philippians 2 that one of the ways we are distinct from the world is by being grateful people, that we don't complain and question all the time. So I pray, Lord, that we would have a joy Lord, that is inexpressible. Uh, Lord, a hope 
that is just unwavering. And Lord, that you would make us grateful, gracious people, uh, that we might reflect your image, Jesus, and that others might be drawn to know you. I ask it in your name.